You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When the god Izanagi returned from the land of Yomi, he purified himself in a bath. As he dried his body, each falling drop of water soaked into the soil and imbued the land with supernatural potential. Thus, the yokai were born. Hey, hey there, friend. How have you been? I've been great. Thanks for asking. If you're new here, I'm TK, and this is For the Love of History. And boy, do we have a good episode for you today. We're taking a deep dive to finish our yokai countdown that we started on Instagram. I'm so excited. I love these little creatures. Ever since moving to Japan, I've been fascinated with them. They are so interesting and so evil and so cool. And I'm sure at the end of this episode, you're going to love them too or your money back. JK, podcasts are free, but that's enough tomfoolery. Get yourself comfy, grab a drink and a snack. We got a little bit of a long one today, so let's get started. So first of all, what in the heck is a yokai? So yokai are strange and supernatural creatures from Japanese folklore. The word is a combination of the two kanji or Chinese characters, yo and kai. Yo meaning attractive, bewitching, or calamity, and kai meaning mystery or wonder. Fun fact though, this is just one meaning of kai. Kai is also a pretty common boy's name and means ocean. Fun fact number two, Kai is also my middle name. It is, in fact, the K in TK. Look at us. We're taking a step in our friendship. Now you know my middle name. But I digress. Yokai in English can be translated to ghost, spirit, demon, goblin, and even fairy in some cases. So from the outside, it's kind of hard to say exactly what a yokai is, and that is due to where yokai come from. Yokai stories all started out as local oral folk tales and tribal folklore. Then, when Buddhism came to Japan, that was mixed in, and then Shintoism popped up on the scene and mixed in as well. So you got a dash of local folklore, a pinch of Buddhism, and you top it all off with some Shinto, bam, you got a yokai. So let's dive a little deeper into this recipe. Before Japan was unified in the third century, there were a ton of tribes all over that created their own culture, religions, traditions, and folklore. They differed depending on the environment, what they ate, what the people's social structure was, and the things that they feared, you know, anthropology things. But as the country was unified and people began to mix, these stories were exchanged and told over and over again, thus making a solid base for our yokai soup. Stock, I believe is what it's called. (laughs) Then something big happened in the 6th century to spice up our yokai soup. Buddhism and Shintoism came to Japan from China, and with it, all the gods and monsters and legends. So the local folklore and the religions mixed together and made the beautiful yokai soup 
we know today. You gotta love a food analogy. (laughs) But our yokai soup had no bowl. And by bowl, I mean these stories weren't written down. They were all just oral traditions until... And by bowl, I mean these stories weren't written down. They were all just oral traditions until a little book called the Kojiki or the Record of Ancient Matters was written in the 8th century. Within the Kojiki lies the oldest recorded histories of Japan, which are all about the creation myths and legendary prehistory. And this is where we find the first written record of yokai and their origin story. In fact, in the intro for today's episode, that was the story. That is the origin story of yokai. Yokai come from magical bathwater dripping off of what I assume was a naked god, which in my opinion is a fantastic way to be brought into the world. Way better than the human way, if we're being honest. Way less poop, much less crying, <laughs> just better in general. So until the Edo period, <laughs> sorry, I'm, I'm still thinking about that naked god creating uh, yokai with his bathwater. <laughs> but moving on. So until the Edo period in the 1600s to about 1868, yokai stories really were not written down. But something happened in the Edo period. The popularity of yokai stories skyrocketed. People couldn't get enough. The weirder and stranger, the better. Japan was also starting to modernize, and people were moving away from the rural areas, so they lost touch with the yokai stories, but they still wanted them. So one man decided it was time to write these things down, and that man's name was Toriyama Seikien. Mr. Toriyama collected the oral traditions of rural Japan for the growing urban population. These began as collections of painted scrolls and later expanded into multi-volume illustrated encyclopedias of strange tales and supernatural stories. Toriyama would then go on to write the Illustrated Night Parade of 100 Demons. Because of his scrolls and encyclopedias and his book, Toriyama became like the gr- <laughs> the brothers, the brothers Grimm of Japan. So I just want to take a moment and say thank you to Mr. Toriyama for saving all these funky stories for us. TK, let's get to the fun stuff. I hear you, friend. I know. And I've got just the thing. Let's talk about the actual yokai now. So there are four broad groups of yokai that can be kind of subdivided into eight main yokai, but let's talk about the four groups first. So number one, we have the four sacred beasts. Number two, we have monsters or the bakemono. Third, we have the ghosts or the yurei. And fourth, we have objects or the tsukumogami. So let's talk about the four sacred beasts first. So remember back when Shintoism and Buddhism came to Japan, well, it brought along with it the four sacred beasts. They originated from China, and they were the legends of the four unique creatures which were associated with the four seasons and the four compass directions. The four beasts are the dragon, the phoenix, the white tiger, and the tortoise. 
The dragon is associated with spring and the east. It's supposed to be fearsome and powerful, and dragons are often associated with water and rivers in general. The phoenix is the summer and the south. A proud defender of justice and fidelity, this yokai takes the shape of a giant firebird. The white tiger, which is autumn and the west, is said to be the king of all beasts. I mean, come on. The white tiger is super cool. It's a warrior and it's a protector. And finally, we have the tortoise associated with winter and the cardinal direction north. And the tortoise is a symbol of wisdom and knowledge. And this yokai is also said to be immortal. So cool. If I were to choose, I would choose the tortoise because I would like to live forever. What uh, magical beast would you choose, friend? Tell me. Leave me a message. DM me on Instagram. I want to know. What would you be? So let's move on to the next group, monsters or bakemono. Bakemono are shapeshifters that are able to transform into their original animal shape and also into humanoid or human-like shapes. These are yokai like the tanuki and the kitsune, which if you don't know exactly what those are, you can check out the Instagram where I have left you a detailed profile of both the tanuki and the kitsune and also... There is an episode way back about the tanuki and his giant malleable testicles. And that's all I'm going to say, because if you haven't listened to that episode, you should go listen to that episode. (laughs) It's a great one. So next we have objects or the tsukumogami. Tsukumogami. Sorry, that's a hard one to say. These are objects, including weapons, especially swords, which come to life on their 100th anniversary of being used. They rarely become powerful enough to be guardians or deities, but they do make very good spirits, what we would call in the West as a spirit. So if you will indulge me for a moment as I go off on a side tangent... Um, I was talking to my mom about this podcast episode and telling her about the object yokai, the Tsukumogami, and she made a joke that my Nana's house is full of these uh, Tsukumogami because she's got a ton of antiques, just a bunch of old stuff in her house. And all I could think about is the chest of drawers and the old butter churn my nana has a butter churn like an old like you make butter with it and it's over a hundred years old and it's hanging up in her house and all I could imagine is like that thing coming to life (laughs) it was hilarious to me anyways moving on thank you let's move to the ghost the yudei yudei are ghosts uh they're spirits of the deceased that are kept from a peaceful afterlife, and they end up roaming the earth under different forms. They usually don't remember their previous life, and this is kind of where true ghosts and yokai differ. They don't remember their previous life, and they are often accompanied by something called hitodama lights. They're sort of like colorful floating flames. So there's a pretty fine line between what a ghost is and what a yurei is. And then these four categories 
also split into a lot of different groups as well. For example, the monster group, the bakemono type yokai, the ones that don't turn into animals are classified into a little bit of a different category. In my very not expert opinion, I feel like these are the fairy tale creatures of the yokai family. At least that's what they feel like to me. So let me tell you about some of these fairy tale ish yokai. So, first up, we've got the oni. The ogre-like monsters with horns, colored skin, and long fangs. Next, we have the Tengu, which is a winged creature that has a long nose, supernatural powers, and is super skilled in martial arts. It usually has a big bright red face and is pretty humanoid. Next, we have the Kappa, which is a strange creature said to have a bowl full of water on their head, which it gives them their strength. I also wrote a Instagram post about this yokai as well, so if you want more detail on that, go ahead and check it out. Next, we have the Ningyo, which is a mermaid, a Japanese mermaid. And they, uh, they can appear in two ways. They can have a fish torso with a human body, or a human torso with a fish body. Some of them are beautiful and gorgeous and everything you think about when you think of a mermaid. And some of them are hideous and ugly. And uh, if you haven't seen the SNL skit where there's like three mermaids and one of them is a a blob fish mermaid. I'm gonna put a link to that in the show notes. It's freaking hilarious. Some of the Japanese yokai mermaids actually look like that character and it is so funny. So go check that out if you want to. And next is my personal favorite is the Kirin. And this is the eastern equivalent of a western unicorn. It's seen as a heavenly beast that may live for thousands of years. It's so cool. There's a beer named after it, and it's my favorite beer here in Japan. So I highly recommend Kirin beer. And next we have the Kodama, which is the spirit of a tree. It's not really a ghost nor a monster. The best way I can explain it is if you've seen Princess Mononoke or Mononoke Hime, Then you've seen a Kodama. They've got weird little shaped heads and tiny little bodies. And they just like hang out around the tree doing their thing. Sometimes they bring you luck. Sometimes they protect the tree. But they just kind of hang out. They don't really do anything. And then finally, we have the Koma Inu which are stone creatures that usually guard shrines and important places like rich homes and castles. They can be tigers, boars, lions, dogs, wolves, or foxes. And I believe I also made an Instagram post going more in depth uh, about these as well. So you can go check that out. But this is by no means an exhaustive list. There are hundreds of yokai and I'm gonna quote one of my favorite authors of Japanese folklore and yokai Zach Davison because I think he really explains why there are so many yokai so here goes in Japan's creation myth 
The land itself, the rocks, trees, mountains, and rivers are infused with latent magical energy. This energy needs only a focus to give it life. Just as nebulous gas ignites to form stars, this energy is compressed by events like volcanoes or earthquakes or strong human emotions like fear or hatred until it emerges as one of Japan's menagerie of monsters and phenomena. Yokai take many shapes and are as varied and complicated as human imagination can make them. Uh, Thank you, Zach. That was beautiful. Thank you. (laughs) So even though there is no definitive list of yokai, I think I might have found something even better than a list. On Mizuki Shigeru Road, in the city of Sky Minato, in Totori Prefecture, there are 133 statues of yokai in bronze. It's a whole tourist thing. You can buy a guidebook and find each statue, which is sorted by number according to the guidebook that you can buy at the gift store. And it's only 100 yen, friend. Just like one US dollar, basically. And the guidebook doubles as a stamp rally book for you to stamp each character because they have stamps. How cool is this? Is it just me? Am I the only one that likes stamps? Please tell me because I love a good stamp rally and I think this would be a fantastic yokai themed tourist trip. So whenever we can travel, and I hope that's soon, I hope you can find your way to this little road and find all the bronzed yokai your heart desires. Now it's time for some yokai stories and our final thought. So, because it's Halloween tomorrow and I'm feeling a little spooky, I'm going to read to you one of the stories of the three most evil yokai of Japan called the Nihon Sandai Aku Yokai. These are the three monsters who, according to legend, pose the greatest threats to Japan's very existence. I will be reading these stories, translated by Matthew Meyer, who is the author and editor of Yokai.com and the author of the book of Hakutaku, A Bestiary of Japanese Monsters. So please enjoy. This is the story of Tamamo no Mai. Tamamo no Mai was a wicked, shape-changing, nine-tailed fox whose evil was only matched by her ambition. She disguised herself as a human child and was found by an elderly couple who were unable to have children of their own. They named her Mikuzume and raised her as their daughter. Mikuzume grew to be an exceptionally talented and beautiful young woman and attracted the attention of everyone around her. When she was seven years old, She recited poetry in front of Emperor Toba, who was so taken with her that he offered her a job as a servant of the imperial court. Mikuzume excelled at court, absorbing knowledge like a sponge. There was no question she could not answer, 
whether it was about music, history, astronomy, religion, or Chinese classics. Her clothes were always clean and unwrinkled. She always smelled pleasant. Mikazume had the most beautiful face in all of Japan, and everyone who saw her loved her. One summer, during a poetry recital, a powerful rainstorm hit. The candles in the recital room were snuffed out by the wind. Suddenly, a bright light emanated from Mikazume's body, illuminating the room. Everybody at the recital was shocked, and it was declared that she must have had an exceedingly good and holy past life. Mikuzume was given the name Tamamo no Mai, and Emperor Toba, already exceedingly fond of her, made her into his consort. Shortly afterwards, Emperor Toba became gravely ill. The country's best physicians could not figure out what was wrong with him. The highest priests prayed for him to get better, but he only grew worse. Sorcerers were called in to divine the cause of his illness. According to the sorcerers, the emperor was being made sick by someone close to him. They suspected that Tamamo no Mai was actually a fox in disguise. But the emperor refused to believe that his beloved could be something so wicked. But in fact, she had begun using her magic to shorten the emperor's life and was responsible for his condition. Tamamo no Mai was ordered to participate in the divine rituals to save the emperor's life. The sorcerers reasoned that if she were an evil spirit, she would not be able to recite the holy words or perform the ritual. She was reluctant to participate, for she was afraid of what would happen when the sorcerers identified her as the cause of the emperor's illness. But due to court decorum, she had little choice. She recited the holy words and played her part extremely well. But just as she was about to wave the ceremonial staff, she vanished and the sorcerer's suspicions were confirmed. The emperor summoned his best warriors and ordered them to find Tamamo no Mai. An army of 80,000 men was sent forth to hunt her down. News came that a nine-tailed fox had been spotted in the east. The army chased her all the way to the plains of Nasuno. The night before she was caught, Tamamo no Mai appeared to an archer named Mironosuke in a dream. She was crying. She told him that tomorrow he would find her, and she begged him to spare her life. Her beauty was indescribable. She appeared so pitiable. But Muranosuke's sense of duty was stronger than his sense of pity, and he rejected her plea. The next day, Muranosuke spotted a nine-tailed fox on the plains. He fired two arrows at it, piercing its side and neck. Then the swordsman, Kazuononosuke, swung his blade at its head. The fox fell, and Tamamonomai's life ended. The army returned to Kyoto with the fox's body as proof of her defeat. However, Tamamonomae's evil did not end with her death. One year after she died, Emperor Konoe died, airless and alone.
The following year, her lover, the former Emperor Toba, died as well. This paved the way for a succession crisis that spelled the end of the imperial power in Japan and allowed the rise of the first shoguns, thus changing the political landscape and history of Japan forever. Well, that's all, friend. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you liked today's episode. If you did, tell a friend, tell your neighbor, tell your cat. When you order Uber Eats or Postmates next time, tip your driver and uh, tell them about For the Love of History. And if you really liked today's episode, please leave a review or some stars. They really help uh, to promote the show. And honestly, more importantly, they make me feel really good. <laughs> but if you don't listen um, to this podcast through Apple Podcasts, just send me a message on Instagram. I love hearing from you, friends. And literally, it just it makes my whole day anytime someone reaches out. I love it. Thank you. So feel free. That's all I got. Have an excellent day or whatever time it is. Drink some water because I know that you haven't. I know you haven't been drinking water. Drink it. It's important. Take care of yourself. Have a great day. And I will talk to you in the next episode on November 13th, where we are going to continue our journey through Japan. But will we talk about Lady Samurai? Will we find out the difference between Maiko and Geisha? Will we talk about something entirely different? You'll have to go to the For the Love of History Instagram at For the Love of underscore History and vote to find out. But until then, I'll see you later. Bye! Why is there a metronome right now? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs>